recorded live. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. and the Sixth Doctor. Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. I'm Dave Fed. Will either of you come up with another type of idea for this show? Or one? bewitching edition of the Cultum Collective Podcast. Yes, we're delving into the world of Harry Potter. Potter? Potter. Yes, and pottering around in his back room is Mr. Dave AC. Hello, Dave. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether to uh, decide to sing or not, but uh, <laughs> let's just say happy birthday. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Come on. Go on. Is there else that's going in? <laughs> Oh, come on, Colton Singers, out you come. Come on. One, come two, three. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And many more. And that, folks, was the Colton out of sync singers. Thank you, guys. It, it 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 wouldn't be a birthday without the out of sync singers. <laughs> Alrighty, well, introducing the out of sync singers. Here's it's Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Hello, Benjamin. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. <laughs> uh, one man from Manassas here. <laughs> anyway, uh, always good when I can make it. So, yay! And we're glad you can. All right, also joining us, and there's no musical round today, so we're safe. It's Mr. Charlie P79. Speaking of magic, I'm waiting for the uh, Taksu uh, Autotune app to appear. There you Ooh, go. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and just flowing in on the broom, it's Kobo4747. Hello. Hello. Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you. I can also hear myself, but I can hear you. Hey, it sounds like you're coming from the echo chamber of secrets, but still. Yes. <laughs> oh. Um, having to use the built-in microphone because my roommate is nowhere to be found. Okay. Okey-dokey. Alrighty. Um, also joining us, Mr. Darth Skeptical. Maybe. Hello. Well, oh, there I, I am, but something happened. I think I was too busy turning to page 394. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that Rick Waitman character, I don't know. Joining us, and I'm sure he's done this show before, is probably where we got the idea. It's Logan. Hello, guys. And uh, Mr. Potter sends his regards, but he's stuck at Hogwarts, so he sent me instead. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Logan scar is on the other side. <laughs> uh, yes. It, 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 yeah. you, you don't see my scar unless you pay money. 
<laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> also joining us, it's Mr. Randall Thor. Hello, Mike. Disappear that Minecraft, Mike, and talk. Hmm. All right, as soon as he finds the unmute button, we'll come back to him. <laughs> Someone used the silencing spell on him. Yes. And I hear she travels by uh, flu powder. All the way from the other side of the world, it's Ramana too. Hello, boys. Hello. Uh-huh. Oh. And well known for making bicycles disappear, it's Mr. Jury. Well, I wish I could have made my neighbours disappear yesterday. As anyone will know that follows me on Twitter, they were having a rather loud party. Uh. All right. Time for me to find a sound clip. <laughs> yes. It's time to lower the cone. Cogent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. What? All right, just as the cone was coming down... Scardus slipped in under it and then out the other end. <laughs> so, Scardus is on audio with us. Hello, sir. Hiya there. Please don't put my attention with Lockhart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Under the cone today, it's Berlin and Cybob. Hello, boys. <laughs> oh, wait. Can All you right. hear me? And, of course, yes. Uh, yes. There's Mike. He found the unmute magic <laughs> button. Yes, I had to go into the options and X light, but yes, I'm unmuted. I've operated into the room with Yay. one of those travel keys. Keys, four keys, yes. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And um, we'll rename the corner silence the dungeon for tonight. So if there's any of those little like spamming people in there, we'll all shout "Troll in the dungeon!" <laughs> ah, dear. Or it's going to be a rebel-rousing lot today, I can tell. Yes, they're all chomping at the bit to get out their wands and do some magic. The analogy was going to be different, but it didn't work in the end. Anyway, looking for our magic typing monkey. Spiriamus typing monkey, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, sir, and better than I could have said it. All right, it's time for news, and joining us with some news, it's Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Okay, well, this week, um, yes, uh, the big thing this week is Torchwood-related. You know, I imagine people thought Stars is funding the show. You have a U.S. pay cable network backing it. For the first time ever, Torchwood will finish a season knowing it's been renewed to come back next year, instead of having to wait till after it's over. Guess again, children. Um, earlier this year, Russell T. Davies mentioned that he was just about ready to move on from science fiction and how he wanted to have a really spectacular storyline and get Torchwood set up so that other people could take over and he could leave it in good hands. Now Stars has turned around and mentioned that actually they never looked at Torchwood as an annual proposition and that their opinion is they're interested in making Torchwood win Russell T. Davies felt he had a compelling story worth talking about. 
they mentioned that uh, 10 episodes is an unusually big commitment for the BBC. And obviously the BBC is still paying a large amount of the Torchwood funds. So obviously, Stars thinks that either Russell T. Davies is going to be playing a big role, or there's not going to be a Torchwood. So who knows when or if there will be a fifth series of Torchwood. And if Rusty Davies has to keep coming back to keep making the show, has he wound up where John Nathan Turner was in the 1980s, unable to leave for fear of his show being killed? Well, obviously, Rusty Davies could do anything else he wants to, so it's not entirely the same, but... <sighs> Torchwood, always living on the edge of cancellation, no matter how good it does. Oh, well, really, yeah. I still haven't watched uh, this week. <laughs> anyway. All right, thank you very much for that, sir. Dave, you have some uh, quite topical news. Yeah, well, yes, of course, we're doing this on uh, what is uh, J.K. Rowling's 46th birthday today, so that is uh, serendipitous for us. Uh, we didn't plan it. <laughs> like to say we did, but we didn't. Uh, and also another of the cast characters, and five points for Charlie when he names... Which person, Richard Griffiths, who is 64 today, plays in the Harry Potter movie? Which character? Oh, he plays Uncle Vernon. There you are. The man that likes tearing up letters. So, uh, <laughs> yes, Richard Griffiths' uh, birthday today. Uh, also, it's a day when um, J.K. Rowling has said that it's not the end of uh, Harry Potter in some ways. The um, new site that she's got launched today, uh, www.pottermore.com. Uh, new uh, signings on for today is already closed. Day one registration is now closed. But I'll read very briefly from the, the opening page. For those of you who would like a chance to gain early access to Pottermore, you must find the magic quill and then submit your registration details. Each day from the 31st of July all until the 6th of August, a clue will be revealed here. Solve the clue and you'll be taken to the magic quill. Be quick and the magic quill, won't be, uh, the magic quill won't be there for long and registration will only be open while spaces are still available each day. Don't tell you whether you get into the Gryffindor house or which house, but you can certainly get there. As I said, that's www.pottermore.com and if you're on Twitter, Pottermore is now uh, uh, has its own Twitter. I'm not too sure how long that has been in effect, but I will again just put that it's in the text. Been, it has been up for a while now, and you get sorted as soon as you're um, signed up, and you can gain the early access um, from the. Um, I think it's oh soon, but it's um, it came out today. Up to the, oh, yeah, it the, came out today, but you can. Yeah, the people aren't today. able to access it yet. You can't, act like, it doesn't open yet. Like, you'll, you can register to get early. You can just access. register. But, so, yeah. but the, the site actually opens in full to, the, to everybody um, in October this year. Um, but you can gain early access if you do this magical thing. Um, if, you know, I still haven't got my email. Despite sending it, like, you know, as soon as the site went live, which is really annoying, which was like a month ago. So, um... Yeah, it's a bit weird, but, um, yeah. Right. Thank you for that. Uh, and not really news, but in my Sunday paper, an article about uh, is there life after Harry, um, it, it quotes that um, uh, on a recent Oprah Whitney show, which 
Winfrey show, rather, um, J.K. Rowling said, um, the characters are still in my head. I mean, I could write, I could definitely write an eighth, a ninth, and a tenth. I could easily. And there's also news, of course, that they're going to be developing more uh, uh, themed um, restaurants and shops for um, for Harry Potter. Uh, I think that's in uh, Levens then Studios, the old Levenstone Studios in Hertfordshire. So um, I don't think there's going to be the end of Harry Potter. Indeed, there's some uh, other books about um, you know books about Quidditch and about uh, uh, Through the Ages and Fantastic Beasts. Whether any of those will be um, utilised to keep the Harry Potter legend going, I don't know. It's, it's still the theme park as well. So um, yeah, yeah. Which, which Samantha's going to come over here to meet me, so we can go to that. Totally. Yes. <laughs> One day. <laughs> I'd like to, to, to send out a, a special thank you to J.K. Rowling for, um, <laughs> for, for, for now realizing that she's only 46. She's only seven years older than me and realizing, okay, how many books have I got? Dang! <laughs> so thank you, J.K. Rowling. But, um. but... But I Guys. do have, and and thank you to uh, to uh, Benjamin actually for uh, <laughs> drawing our attention to it. Uh, on the second of August, two years ago, was our first ever live show. Ooh. So this is the closest you get to actually it being um, Colton's birthday. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So. So we sing happy birthday to Colton. No. Uh, no. <laughs> we want to keep going, you see. <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a day full of birthdays and Potter and, and everything. So, uh, yes. Um, so, yes, I, um, share a, I, I, share, I share a birthday. There's a boy with... at the back wants to talk. A boy at the back. The rude boy at the yeah. back wants to talk. Oh, pardon me. Right. Um, <laughs> there's one small point of order here, guys. Um, the correct pronunciation of the author's name is J.K. Rowling like bowling okay that's how she proper, that's how she pronounces it it's J.K. Rowling like bowling rolling so with the bowling alright bowling, bowling like bowling that's, the bowling that's, that's just um, it's, it's not it's not like growling it's, it's actually rolling so just small point of order and I'll just uh, go back to the nuns corner now Indeed. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. I mean, if she wants to debate that, she can come on the show and debate it personally, right? Indeed. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 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 There you go. We're calling you out, J.K. Yeah. And as a side note, does anybody have a spare ticket to Edinburgh um, on an airplane? Just out of curiosity. No. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I have a ferry ticket from Belfast. <laughs> That was just a vague, vague reference to something somebody just told me. So, yes. Anyway. I think it's London. Sadly, it's not till September. There you go. <laughs> At least they made Merlin laugh. All right, Dave, it's all yours. They they are all yours. But first, actually, before we do that, and I've realized that I didn't play it yet, if you want to be in on all this fun and hilarity and, and singing, uh, here's how to do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 
7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling time before dialing in. If you have a sit point, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone find if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Ah, that magic voice. And now onto the magic voice of Mr. J.B.C. As he presents Harry Potter. Yeah, and welcome to Uncle Lou in the room, if you can allow him to join in the text chat. Um, well, just first of all, I would just say that we're, we're talking about the years one to three of uh, Harry Potter. Uh, I don't think I need to do too much background uh, of the novels. In fact, um, th- we're going to be probably more featured on the, the films. Although I do know that we have uh, some literally, literally, I can't even say it, people who read books literally. in the room. Yeah, no. Literary. <laughs> literary. Yes, who we're going to call on, people like uh, Randasaur and others that I may... Like well done. Well, then we're going to depend and the heavily... Too. <laughs> You've read audiobooks? That is unbelievable. No, but I listen to audiobooks. The audiobooks are <laughs> by Stephen Fry, and they are awesome. Um, and yeah, I've actually finished all the first three. So, yeah. <laughs> I recommend them. They're awesome. Totally. Just, uh, anyway. The American editions were actually narrated by a different person. Uh, Mr. Jim Dale narrates the audiobooks uh, if you're buying them in the United States. Okay, well, thank you for that. I've, I've put a couple of wiki links in the show if you scroll back. I will repeat them in a moment, but let's just find out how it all started with um, the arrival of Baby Potter. I should have known that you would be here, Professor McGonagall. Good evening, Professor Dumbledore. Are the rumors true, Albus? I'm afraid so, Professor. The good and the bad. And the boy? Hagrid is bringing him. Do you think it wise? to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? Ah, Professor, I would trust Hagrid with my life. Professor Dumbledore, sir. Professor McGonagall. No problems, I trust Hagrid. No, sir. Little tight fell asleep just as we were flying over Bristol. Try not to wake him. Albus, do you really think it's safe? Leaving him with these people. I've watched them all day. They're the worst sort of muggles imaginable. They really are. The only family he has. This boy will be famous. There won't be a child in our world who doesn't know his name. Exactly. He's far better off growing up away from all of that. Until he is ready. (laughs) There, there, Hagrid. It's not really goodbye after all. Good luck, Harry. 
Okay, and that's the opening scene, really, of the first of the Harry Potter films, uh, known in the UK as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and for some reason given a slightly different name in um, in other countries. I'm not quite sure why. Cause no, not just in... America. Just America. Just... It's the Philosopher's Stone in Australia. Ah, excellent. Okay, well, I think because uh, I myself haven't read uh, any of the books, really, and, and my familiarity with the series uh, start, starts and stops with the films, perhaps, Ian, it might be for one's uh, apt to go just round the room and uh, find out how people got into Harry Potter in the first place. Yeah. And I don't uh, before, you... before we do that, does, does anybody in the room actually know why there's the renaming of, of uh, the Philosopher's Stone to the Sorcerer's Stone? I, I don't think it's something to do with the religious connotations. Of I, I, I know why. My memory of what was said at the time was that they said that, then, and this might be entirely apocryphal, but this was certainly the story that was doing the rounds, was that the American audiences wouldn't know what the word philosopher meant. So they changed it to sorcerer because they thought, oh, everybody knows one of them. That's the theory that's what... that I heard. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that's thinking, well, that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> Put it bluntly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Pardon, pardon my uh, getting close to a swear there. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't want to uh, Harry Potter to an NC-17 topic. Right. This early. <laughs> <laughs> and just a, a quick note to Kobo, uh, I was uh, picking up some um, some echo on the uh, on your audio. So if uh, if you need to uh, join in, just uh, request to uh, to talk, and and I'll unmute you. Thanks. Yes, because I, I don't think they can unmute themselves easily if they're using that mic. Right. Yep. So I figured it'd be easier if you just let me know when you're ready, and then. Right. Yeah. yeah. Scardis, you were going to come in on that. Uh, Definition, were you? Well, philosophers and sorcerers. Yeah. No, yeah. I, no, I, I, I said in chat that I have um, a book called Harry Potter, Ogs and Orthlock, which is actually the um, Philosopher's Stone uh, book in Irish. It's, it's written in the Irish language. And it's actually been translated into quite a few languages. I think we'd be here all day if we said <laughs> which languages has been translated into but yeah Irish is one of them and uh, I have that that issue but um, philosophers, philosophers I think um, it was actually Randall Thor who said that Scholastic uh, didn't like the um, title Philosopher's Stone so they changed it to Sorcerer's Stone Okay well while you've got the mic do you want to say how you got into Harry Potter was it through the books? Uh, no not really um Basically, was one. Uh, although the, the Harry Potter movies have been pretty much, they were they've been bought up uh, in the UK by ITV, and it's ITV that do all the Harry Potter stuff on telly. But initially, the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stones um, UK premiere was on BBC One on Christmas Day, whenever it was, two thousand and two, I mean, maybe. Oh, you so you and, didn't sit in the theatres then? You, you're talking about television no. presentation, right? Yeah, my first, my first exposure to it was Christmas Day um, on BBC One, just one afternoon, just obviously you watch Italian Christmas and, oh yeah, this looks interesting. And uh, initially, it wasn't actually until after the fourth film came out, um, uh, The Goblet of Fire, that I thought, 
what's going on here exactly? So I decided to pick up my brother's book, um, read that in a day, and then um, the second book over about two days, and then the third book another two days, and then fourth book over the week, and then finally wow. went on to the fifth. Um, finally went on to the fifth book and read that. That was before the movie came out, and you know. And then he, uh, my brother hadn't bought the sixth book, and I was still determined at the time. No, no, I'm not buying into this. And I'm not buying into this. So what I used to do then was just go down to my local library, pick the book off the the sixth book off the shelf, read a few chapters for a couple of hours, and then put it back. Uh, but eventually, I did give in, and I got the the editions. And um, you know, I was in denial about my addiction to it for a while, but uh, finally, I came into terms with it and uh, enjoyed the books and watch the movies and so yeah that's my Potter story well excellent I mean the the first film came out in 2001 but the actual books themselves I think the first one was published on the 29th of June uh, 1970 uh, 19, 1997 sorry uh, and were brought out uh and over a 10-year period until 2007. And they are credited, certainly in the UK, of not uh, only getting young people reading again and interested in uh, uh, books, and, and obviously they've spawned lots of similar sort of copies and uh, that genre of uh, things, but they've been credited with two other things, that, that uh, the books have grown along with their readers, so the, the themes of the book, book have got older with the, with the developing ages and times of the characters uh, and of course it's also revived the actual publishing industry here in the UK that were, were really uh, saved. I mean it was out selling many many books, we're having midnight openings of shops and uh, there's no doubt about it, certainly here in the UK possibly around the world, it's been an absolute publishing phenomenon. Uh, let's go to Romana because she's made a special effort to come in this morning. How did you get into uh, um, Romana? Hmm. Well I'm at the age where if I was a few years younger, I would have been like so many of my friends who have grown up with the books. I I know so many people have started reading them when they were like seven and then pretty much are like 20, in their early 20s now. And it's like their childhood has come to an end. But I wish I was sort of like that, but I just got, I, I came into them with the movies. Um, my sister was reading the books actually, and she's two, 18 months older than me. Um, so um, I remember her talking about them. I missed the first one at the cinema, but I'm pretty sure I... No, the first two I didn't see at the cinema. I went and saw the third one in the cinema. Um, I'd watched the two, I think, on TV before then. But I went to see the third one with my sister after knowing what it was. And um, basically I went with my sister, who was full on a fan at the time, um, so that's how I started with the movies. And I pretty much like was captivated from the movies from the start, really. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban, the one I saw with my sister, is, is probably one of my favourite movies. Um, Remus Lupin is my favourite character of the series. Um, and, yeah, I started that way. It's only been in the last couple of years that I've delved into the books. I still haven't finished them because I'm a terribly slow reader which is why I'm going down the audiobook territory because I have lots of time sitting on buses and trains going to and from places. The audiobooks are perfect for me. Um, at the moment, halfway through the Goblet of Fire at the moment. So um, that's how I've gotten into it. Um, I've gotten also into it sort of through fan fiction. It's kind of weird. 
Um, basically, I read a lot of fan fiction for another fandom, and one of my favorite authors is that the authors in that fandom also write Harry Potter fan fiction. So I got a bit into it through that as well, and just basically online talking to my friends, and also through the musical. And if anyone knows about the fan musical, um, just bits and pieces of it really, basically. Just and I've sort of really gotten into it like the last couple of months with the last movie coming out and um yeah it's it's kind of been like I wish I'd grown up on it like a lot of my friends have so I can relate to them with with them on that regard but um can I, can I ask you I, I can ask yeah. a question I, I mean I'm not saying because you're a girl most of your friends will be girls but to, is it perceived as a, a book that 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 girls got into more than boys or is it one that appeals across the board to your mind? It appeals across the board, I think. I must admit, most of the people I know who are Harry Potter fans are girls, but I do know quite a few boys who are fans. It's not as common, I find, but, um, like, for example, my one of my good friends here, her boyfriend is pretty much as big a fan as she is, basically. He grew up on the books as much as she did. It's kind of a generational thing, I think. Like, um, if you're the people, they call themselves the Harry Potter generation. They're around, you know, in the early 20s now, but basically they were, you know, they were of the age that the books were directed at when the books came out, and then they kind of, you know, read the books as children and then watched the movies. And basically grew up with the cast. So, um, I don't know why I'm going to, but, you know, they kind of have that really kind of connection to the to the series because it's essentially their childhood basically in a nutshell was has been this film and book series so um the fact that it's come to an end is a big huge thing for that generation and i'm just a couple of years too old for that but um as i said i know a lot of people who definitely would say that and i'll just just throwing there throwing that okay out there. Yeah. We'll, we'll 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 go a little bit more around the room yeah. if you don't mind because we're going to have yeah, lots fine. of things coming. Um, let's go to Mike. Mike's another one that probably uh, did you find it through the books first, Mike, or what? Yeah, I found out about the series it around the time that the, the third book, Prisoner of Azkaban, came out originally, and that was around the time I believe that was around the time that the first movie had come out. So it was kind of simultaneous, or maybe just before. The, the, the first movie came out. I'm not sure when Prisoner of Azkaban came out, but it was just when I was going into high school. And uh, so I didn't have the, the movies, really. To, to The movies weren't around when I started reading the books. Uh, but I read the first three uh, pretty quickly and rather liked the story and where, where things were going. So uh, it was from then, that moment on that I, I remember waiting waiting patiently for the, the initial book releases of 4, 5, 6, and 7. And uh, how excited I was when when each new book came out, and you know, it's, it's like with my with my sisters and my mom and I, we were all fans of the books, and it was always a discussion when the book when the book, new book came out, uh, who would read the book first? Uh, don't read too quickly, don't spoil it, uh, take turns, whatever. Since we, there was one book copy of the book amongst us, and uh, but yeah, it was uh, Prisoner of Azkaban when, when that book came out, and I started reading the book 
became a fan through the books rather than, rather than the movies. So it was always that comparison that I made. Like how how does how do these books compare to the movies? How do they translate? Did they get everything correct, et cetera, et cetera? So yeah. Right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that later on. But that that's great. Um, unfortunately, Logan's had to drop off. If I'd realised he was imminently leaving, I would have gone to him next. But uh, we've got Kobo that uh, is nominated next. Ian. Hey, yeah. Became a fan because my mom's a middle school literature teacher. So whenever she reads a really good children's book, I try to. You know, read along with her, maybe help a little bit with the lesson plans, that sort of thing. And All I right. just, and I was also of the age to be in the uh, Harry Potter generation, as it were. So, I grew up with the books as well. I have a different experience because I listen to the, I go with the audiobook route because I cannot turn pages owing right. to my physical disability. Um and when when the narrator says name Voldemort, it's in the first book he says Voldemort, but after the movie came out, it switched to Voldemort because that's how the actors said it. So it's kinda of jarring knowing from the book to the movies because they get the villain's name in my opinion wrong. Right. Right. Uh, that was something I wasn't aware of, but uh, no doubt others in the room would be. It was just really, really jarring. And Romana said that her favorite movie was the third movie and that Lupin was her favorite character. I would agree that Lupin is the best character in the world, but they got the casting completely wrong. I always pictured him a little bit like a younger version of Dumbledore, with the beard and everything. I guess, again, because the narrator has a very similar voice for both Lupin and Dumbledore, so I guess that's why the association is in my head. Mm-hmm. And I stopped watching after the fourth movie because it was a very big departure from the books I thought. But I loved the first two movies entirely. I mean, I was a huge fan of the first two movies. As a matter of fact, the second movie was better than the book. Right. I mean, that's right. one of the things that you bring to light. I mean, it, I think it was David, I'm not sure how you pronounce his second name, Phyllis, is it, who played uh, Remus Lupin. But uh, one of the things that uh, you... It was an absolute pantheon of stars in this. Uh, one thing I should point out, and uh, we'll perhaps go to uh, Tim next. Um, here in the UK, the ITV have just done um, uh, 50 Greatest Moments of Harry Potter. Um, and uh, one of the things there was the how so many people not who weren't necessarily in the film but were talking about their uh, enjoyment of uh, Harry Potter had, had uh, loved you know the casting and indeed J.K. Rowling had said uh, the one that she was absolutely insistent upon uh, was um, you know Hagrid's 
uh, Robbie Coltrane. Robert Coltrane, yeah, uh, and his being cast. That was one that she completely insisted on. She also insisted on, by the way, and uh, again, you don't know how much this is true, but uh, well, I'm sure she had a, a massive influence on the films, that she wanted it to be made in England. She wanted it to be made uh, with British stars. Essentially, she saw it as, uh, you know, a, a story of the... Uh, you know, old-fashioned rural England. I mean, one of the reasons why she had so much trouble getting it published, I, I think, was because, it, you know, it was a story about what was perceived by the way he talked and that and the way, you know, Hermione talked and all that, that uh, this was middle-class children going to basically a, a private school or a public school, you'd say, in the States, um, you know, boarding school. Uh, and um, for that reason, she was passed around many, many times, I think, before the story was eventually taken up, and uh, that was where it went. So, mm -hmm. unless Ian wants to just mention something at this point, we'll go mm -hmm. to Tim. Yeah, go ahead. Tim? Tim, how'd you get um, in, into Potter? Well, um, I like reading, but I look at the size of the Harry Potter books, and I think, I'll let Stephen Fry read them to me. <laughs> but, um, I, I, dis I discovered, I, I mean, the first film didn't come out until about a good two, three, four—I can't remember how many years after four. the first book. Four. Yeah. About yeah, four years. And so, for for four years, there was this whole phenomenon around this book, and I gathered that it, it had this huge following. And uh, then suddenly it was announced there was going to be a film of the book, and I thought, oh well, I'll definitely go and see this film and see, find out what all the fuss was about. And um. I remember really enjoying the first film because it does set stuff up incredibly well. It introduces all the, the characters well and it introduces the the world well. I mean, I had a few um, minor criticisms of it, but they really were only minor. And um, it's interesting to note that um, it was um, Chris Columbus, wasn't it, who did the first two Harry Potter movies... And yeah. I remember uh, when uh, the BBC Radio 5 Live movie critic Mark Kermode was reviewing these two, um, I think he described them as um, sort of mo mo movies made for accountants or something. They kind of like ticked a series of boxes, did a sort of series of key uh, important and popular scenes from the books, but to him they weren't very creative bits of um, filmmaking. Personally, I didn't have any such trouble with them myself, and um, I, I've got nothing against the third one. The third, I can't even remember what what specifically happens in the third one, and you may have to enlighten me. Time travel. Time travel. Time travel. Um, well, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask a question that will tell me quickly which ones which. Which movie is it has uh, all the spiders in it. Second Chamber one. of Secrets, the second one. That's the second one? Oh, that's yeah. how ropey my memories are. I thought that was a little bit more recent than that. And then the death of Aragog is in six, and then there are spiders in part eight. Yeah, well, well, just, yeah. For, yeah, just before anybody anything else says, please only spoilers for years one to three during the course <laughs> of the recording. It's yeah, very hard happen. for me, Dave, because a lot of these films I've only seen them once. Yeah, when it no, 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 clear, I, I realise that. It, if it's when, it, when after a few years it became clear they were going to adapt all seven films, 
I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't get all of them on DVD or Blu-ray until I could just walk into a shop or someone buy me for Christmas a nice great big box with the lot in. And then that way I can one day sit down and marathon them. And so it looks like I'll be able to do that early next year. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the other thing I read that I didn't mention in the news is that the the thinking of going back to the seventh uh, the seventh one again and and redoing it as 3D because they gave up on doing it 3D I think during the, the course of it. Part two they have released as 3D. Yeah. But um, having seen it in uh, 3D at the cinema, I wouldn't actually recommend it to people because. Um, the thing is, they have not actually shot it in 3D. They've done this uh, retrofitted 3D where they take the footage and feed it through banks of computers and post-produce all the 3D into it. And um, uh, I'm going to entirely misquote what Mark Kermode said on the radio the other day, but he said something on the lines of um, uh, about Harry Potter 7 Part 2 is the darkest lit of the Harry Potter movies, and it's even darker if you go and see it in 3D. <laughs> yeah, well, that does lose luminance. Okay, uh, i just pause you there if I may. Uh, what I'll do is, uh, since you mentioned the first film, I'll play, play the trailer of the first film, and, and then, if we may, we'll go to Benjamin, then Darth, then Charlie. So here's the first trailer. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. Afternoon, class. Welcome to your first flying lesson. Stick your right hand over the broom and say up. Uh, uh, wow. Knight to E5. That's a wizard's chest. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. First year should note the dark forest is strictly forbidden with no magics to be used between the classes and the corridors. That was bloody brilliant. The first floor corridor is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to suffer a most painful death. Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. She needs to sort out her priorities. You'll be okay, Harry. You're a great wizard. Okay, Benjamin, how did you get into it? Okay, well, um, 
I came about it like many people do. I had younger brothers. Uh, I was in college. Uh, I'm sure right around the time that the third book came out, my youngest brother, who was 10 years younger than me, came across the first two, and then, of course, the third one. I remember uh, seeing on the stage show that big interview of J.K. Rowling about the third book coming out, and they're talking about how they were really taking off in the U.S., and how there were plans to try to uh, adapt it as a movie form. And, of course, my youngest brother really got into the books, and then other family members got into them. And my brother has always been interested in acting and various stuff, and he was so taken by the character of Cedric Diggory in the third book that when there were auditions for characters, he wanted to try to try out to play the role of Cedric Diggory. This was obviously before the fourth book came out. He was really annoyed to hear that Cedric... Um, well, well, spoiler. Something happened. We're only having right. three books here. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, um, anyway, Cedric, he, he wanted to be Cedric, and for whatever reason, he didn't do what he needed to do, and he didn't get to audition, and that was rather sad. And I saw the first film, and my wife had also read the books, was interested in them, and it's actually created a tradition for me, because when books four, five, and six came out, um, four and five, I was still dating Lisa, and the six was right, right near the time we were getting married. And I ordered them through Amazon UK, and she got the UK editions at her door on the opening day, um, on the day the books came out. Because Amazon was doing that. Even with the UK editions, they're shipping the UK editions to US addresses on the release date. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, book seven, she wound up buying it from a store on the day of release over here. She got the U.S. text for seven. But, you know, it was... I'm you work your movies. magic, sir. You work your <laughs> magic. <laughs> I don't think Harry Potter was the only thing that resulted in our getting married, but <laughs> it was obviously a useful, uh, you know, as a useful tool. And we did. we have seen all the films in the theaters, and we've gotten the DVDs that have come out. Uh, one reason... Instead of just waiting for the whole series to come out, it's always good to get the two disc editions before they discontinue them, so you can actually see the extras and things. Because I like the extras. It's a shame more people don't. But anyway, it just I've been following along for the last decade, and you know, I'm not surprised that Growling is beginning to wonder if she should do more. After, even if it would be in a different format. After all, Arthur Conan Doyle was certain Sherlock Holmes was finished when he killed the detective off in The Final Problem. And when he yeah, we, we don't, we don't want the end, sorry, sorry, just as a certain quiz show went on, we do not want the ending of the final book. <laughs> right, well, go on, sorry. Many, many, <laughs> many people haven't seen or read. Many people haven't read the Sherlock Holmes story in The Final Problem? No, 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 sorry. <laughs> I meant I was just preempting what might be said. Well, so, personally, you know, of course, one amusing thing is my brother being a very big uh, book fan, uh, especially beginning with the third film and onwards, he would tend to carp on the changes. I mean, <laughs> after all, the final film, uh, really, Voldemort and Dumbledore riding off on of motorcycles into the Arizona desert. <laughs> oh, you're awful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
gonna let Harry you Harry Potter is a Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, by the way, as far as the whole concept of turning the film from 2D into 3D, if it was made in 3D in the first place, it's okay, even though my eyes don't handle that well, and I prefer the 2D transfer because it works better for my eyes. But if it's a 2D film and you're just faking it, then you need to have a snake who speaks partial tongue come up and start talking to you. Not as, and one that's interested in, in, in talking to you in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. I'm right, let's, now. Okay, let's, we'll go to Darth, and then after, uh, after Darth, I'll play a clip, and then go to Charlie. So, Darth. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm uh, <laughs> too old to have gotten into this by reading Scholastic. Uh, adaptations, um, but uh, I also sort of avoided the the films to begin with because they were directed by Christopher Columbus, who is, uh, in my mind, one of the worst directors who manages to make money in Hollywood history. I don't understand why everything he makes seems to make money, even though virtually none of it is accepted by critics as being even reasonably good. Uh, I still think that the first two films, which I eventually came around to see, are the worst two films of the series. Um, and I, I agree with that um, review that uh, Tim quoted from, in that it, the first two films are incredibly paint-by-the-numbers, incredibly pedestrian, overlit, fanciful pieces of crap. I really don't like the first two films that much at all. But they did launch uh, what has grown to be a very satisfying film series, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, so I avoided Harry Potter like the plague until somebody drugged me to Goblet of Fire, which I found to be surprisingly uh, interesting and, you know, well-lit and uh, a, a film that could be completely understood on its own merits. And so from there, I worked backwards, and they got to three, and three is just fantastic. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron is just an amazing director. He's clearly, head and shoulders, the best director of the Harry Potter films. Um, and the cinematography, you know, that's where... There's a clear break between one and two and three and the rest, because Cuaron is the guy who comes in and says, no, we're going to film this relatively realistically but do the transitions in a fanciful way and you know he he the, the thing is interesting about the Harry Potter film series as compared to say Star Wars or James Bond or other long running franchises is that there is no house visual style um you know in uh Star Wars we can think clearly okay you know the way we get from one scene to another is through a wipe Always. It's always a wipe of some kind. That's a part of the visual grammar of Star Wars, as is, you know, they open out with a, open up with a ship passing over the camera, and they close with an iris out. I mean, there, there's a certain visual grammar that happens in every Star Wars film. There's also sort of a, a visual grammar to, to James Bond, a little bit that gets played with, that has only gotten played with really lately. And that is, you know, you start with the gun barrel, um, you open up into a, um, uh, a teaser action sequence, then you have an elaborate um, but largely visually similar title sequence. 
that doesn't happen in the Harry Potter franchise. But three is interesting because if there was going to be any visual grammar for the series, that was the point at which it might have been started. Quaron succeeds in getting the film series onto a more realistic track, onto a track where Steadicam is used, um, certainly in the um, muggle scenes. Um, and then you get this lovely um, fuzzy iris in and out that happens to give you transition. And it, it's gorgeous because it's not, it's not a clean iris out or iris in like you get at the end of Star Wars movies. It's rather this sort of spooky, fuzzy kind of a circle, but not exactly. And it's just lovely. Seriously, you should everybody should go back for a lesson in filmmaking. Look at film three, Prisoner of Azkaban, and just take note of the way that Quaran goes between scenes. It's amazing. And not just for Harry Potter, but in, in filmmaking terms in general, I think that nobody I've ever seen has beat Quaron in the way that he goes from one scene to another. Just knock out fantastic stuff. And it's also the best score. Um, you know, that's the thing about films one through three is they are the only ones that are scored by John Williams. And three is just probably John Williams' best score. Or and not that's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's certainly... It's certainly the best score of the Harry Potter films. Let's do it at that. Um, but he 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 has some surprising instrumentation in three that isn't there in one and two, using some modern, really instruments, and also using harpsichord occasionally, using flute, using a lot of solos, which is somewhat unusual for John Williams. And it's it's just three is absolutely my favorite film. But I guess I'll leave it there. Okay. Let's uh, now. I've got a few clips, but they're mainly from the the first film, not because I I, I think the first film is particularly great. Although uh, I take on board the point that Dal says there that it's probably directed by numbers. I thought the first film actually reminded me of a, a Roald Dahl type of film. You know, the with the, the obnoxious family that uh, Harry is. Uh, well, his relatives that he's living with, and it had a very much, you know, Matilda type of Roald Dahl feel to it. And whether they were, I can't remember the 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 years in which these different Roald Dahl films came out, and this particular film came out, but it, it had that look to it. But um, one of the reasons why I picked a few clips from the first one is because there are obviously a lot of um, key points that that start us on our journey. Uh, here's the uh, the, uh, the clip that's quite near the beginning, and this is the uh, the letters trying to get to Harry. Dad, look, Harry's got a letter! Are you back? It's mine! Charles, they'll be writing to you. Fine day, Sunday. In my opinion, best day of the week. Why is that, Dudley? Because there's no post on Sundays. Right you are, Harry. No post on Sunday. Ha! 
No blasted letters today. No, sir. Not one single bloody letter. Not one. No, sir. Not one blasted miserable... Okay, and Charlie, thanks for waiting. Do you, how do you get into it? Books or films? Um, yeah, it was, it was. I guess it would be the films because I mean, I first heard of it was when um, they started. You know, I heard the announcement that they were they were going to make movies out of these books, and I was like, oh, I just want to know how. Uh... All right, I'll ignore that. Um, okay, <laughs> the typing monkey was it? Yeah. Uh, some muggles. I don't know what it was. Muggle, muggles, yeah. Um, but then, and then it just, you know, then it just was one of those things about word of mouth, and it's just seeing people, hearing like, uh, you know, people, friends of mine, um, you know, who are also Doctor Who fans who are in, into the books, um, you know, like college professors, people who, um, who I go to book club or into the books, and these, these, you know, much older people. So I thought, well, you know. They're, you know, these are kids' books, and you know, adults read them. That you know, they might be interested. In, you know, I had like a, a relative of mine who's a retired school teacher, loves the books, and then yeah, and then I saw, you know, so um, I saw, I saw the movie. I saw the first three movies when they came out in the theaters. Just before we go on to the movies, yes. sorry. Um, did, did, was it in the in the UK? They had a very clever thing. I thought that um, they brought out the the books in two different covers. Um, they brought them out, uh, obviously brought them out as hardbacks and then what we call paperbacks or softbacks. But didn't they also, well, certainly in the UK, they brought out adult uh, book covers that didn't look sort of like a children's book uh, and then a more, you know, Harry Potter in his spectacles type pictured right. uh, fronted one. I don't know whether that was the case in the States. Uh, I think we only got the, uh, the kid-friendly uh, like the paperback ones, well, like well, like for yeah, both like, both paperback and hard basically the same. Uh, yeah, I can commemorative information if that's okay. Okay, Scarlett, yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, yes, you're absolutely right, David. Bloomsbury, the publishers of Harry Potter, in more or less everywhere except the United States, bought out two editions. There was the the general, what we know as children's edition, where you have the word Harry Potter and Foster Stone or whatever in the font and then you have a painted picture under it and you have different colours of that and then they did bring out an adult edition which basically consisted of, of sort of a, 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 like a photo of a major thing from the film so in Foster Stone it was the big red stone you had uh, the Chamber of Secrets entrance on Chamber of Secrets you had the uh, a castle on a rock which was either the Shrieking Shack or Azkaban Prison uh, on the third book. So, yeah, but in the United States, Scholastic only came out with the one cover. Uh, it was made by an artist called Mary Grandpre, and she was pretty much like the official um, illustrator for the American versions. And she also did uh, pictures in the book as well. So, th at the start 
of each chapter, there will be a little picture of what's coming up in the chapter ahead, which isn't obviously in the uh, British uh, Bloomsbury books. They just uh, have the, the word. But in the American ones, there are all these illustrations and, and there are also deluxe editions with different uh, pictures as well that came out in America. So that's um, that's the cover story, basically, for Harry Potter. Okay, and uh, I, I, I just want to interject at this point and say it's a shame we don't have anybody in this room today who knows anything about Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 Somebody knows their stuff over there, I tell you. Good, good. And Romana says, uh, well, she can say it herself, uh, Australia got both, did you, Romana? Oh, yeah, we get the adult um, cover and the um, children's cover here. Um, we pretty much, from what I've noticed, is we pretty much get the um, UK version here more often than not than the US version. Um, mainly okay. because all well, the region here and region four are essentially the same. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, people, if they are typing anything more than the odd word, can they mute when they do that? Uh, what did you want to add there, Mike, before we go back to Charlie?
I demand that you leave at once. You are breaking and entering. <laughs> Dry up, Dursley, you great prune. Boy, I haven't seen you since you was a baby, Harry, but you were a bit more along than I would have expected, particularly round the middle. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm not Harry. I am. Well, of course you are. Got something for you. Afraid I may have sat on it at some point, but I imagine it'll taste fine just the same. I baked it myself, words and all. Thank you. Not every day your young man turns 11 now, is it? Hey. Eh? You'll know all about Hogwarts. Sorry, no. No? Blimey, Harry, didn't you ever wonder where your mum and dad learned it all? Learned what? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard. And that's something good in I'd wager, once you trade up a little. And we even have storms in the background of that clip. Sorry if you lost audio then for a bit. It affected us all. Uh, we're not going to blame Mike, but he is trying to get back in on audio. We'll go to, um, to to Mike on that little bit, but oh, is he? No. Okay, Charlie, do you want to after that short break? <laughs> sure. Try um, again. Yeah, I just. Um, oh, what was that? Well, the, when the movies you came out. The movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, so, yeah, I think like um, they came out around um, Christmas. And so, like, I remember, I saw the first three in the theaters, and I saw my brother, and I thought it was in, um, it was sort of a nice, because I was, like, I was in college at the time, it was sort of like after uh, classes ended, or around class, before finals, I would go see the movie, and sort of like, uh, let's go out and see a, a kid's movie before, uh, you know, before Christmas or so, and so that was, so, you know, that's what I kind of thought of the first two, and I said, oh, that's nice, you know, nice escape. And then um, we saw the third one, and that was sort of a. It's, it was so different from the other, the first two bo- movies. It's sort of like if you came out of a hot tub and jumped into a swimming pool, that kind of feeling to it. It was so, it was so jarring for me that I didn't know what to think of it. And then I saw it again. And I thought, yeah, this, you know, this is the best one of the, of the three. Um, and then soon after that, I started getting into the. You know, I, I, I bought, started buying all the books. I think we had you know. Maybe like around when the, when the fourth movie came out, I started you know buying the books, and then the last couple ones I got for Christmas, and so and then I've been reading the books. Like I said, I, I got through uh, Prisoner. It took me about four days to read it. Um, finished just now before, before the episode started. So uh, so wow. I, I'm I'm planning on re- hopefully I'm, I'm planning on reading the rest of the books before uh, the summer ends. So. And then I'll then then I'll probably get around seeing the movies. Wow, excellent! I mean, uh, I mean, for instance, the third book, the one you you read in four days. I mean, we're talking. Was it? Are they up to about five hundred pages by now? It's like four hundred thirty-five pages. Wow! And the wow. next one's seven hundred. Double fire is seven hundred pages long. Seven hundred thirty-four. Are you sure it's not the four, five, six? 
Oh, it could be. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll play a little clip and then uh, I'll ask Ian if he wants to, to go because then I think we've been around everybody at least once unless Willis Girl's going to come in on audio. So I'll play a clip, go to Ian, and then we can go around the board again. No, no, definitely not. No matter. happens that the phoenix, whose tail feather resides in your wand, gave another feather. Just one other. It is curious that you should be destined for this wand when its brother gave you that scar. And who owns that wand? We do not speak his name. The one chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. It's not always clear why. But I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible. Yes, but great. Okay, and just before I ask Ian to go, uh, for the other people in the room, uh, we'll, we'll perhaps talk uh, over these three films, if you have a favourite want to talk about it, but maybe you want to talk about your favourite uh, character or even favourite scene from any of those three films. So just get your thinking hats on. Uh, it won't divide you into houses, but it might get your thoughts sorted out. Uh, Ian, you haven't really spoken much. No, no, I haven't. It's probably the first time ever. <laughs> It's my birthday present to everybody else. Uh, I came to Harry Potter in a weird kind of way. I mean, I guess I was probably um, somewhat aware, but my mother-in-law was the one who actually, she I don't know how actually that she got into it, but she had read the first book and, and then started just going nuts on them. And it was because of that that, that uh, we ended up watching the, the Oh, we lost audio again. We seem to be no, having trouble. Fine. Am I coming you're through? Fine. You're fine, and I think I'm fine. So, yeah, I think it's just on uh, Ian's side. Wow. Um, Romana, how are you? Is your audio okay? Yeah, mine's fine. Okay, well, let's go. Let's go to you until Ian comes back in the room. Uh, have you? Oh, is he? Is he back? What? We have him. Am I back? We have him. Yeah, back. 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 Oh, I, I, okay. I, I, I'm quiet for so long, and then <laughs> I get to talking. Honestly, yeah. I did not touch anything. Sure. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So where was I? Basically, how they started. You said mother-in-law. No. Mother-in-law yeah. joke, you're at. Yeah, Well, no, no. My mother-in-law got into the the books in some way, shape, or form, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I like these books, and they're making a movie." And and uh, yeah, that that's basically the the you know, the long and the short of it is is 
she was saying how good it was, and so, so then I started paying attention. And, uh, and then, of course, the, you know, the movie came out, and uh, I don't think I even saw it in the theater. Um, I think we just bought it on DVD because you know we hadn't had the chance to see it, and just well, let's just buy it. Uh, and I love them. I mean, uh, my only regret is that I didn't start reading them before the movies came out, and now it's very, very difficult to... I mean, it may be at some point when I'm you know, retired or something, I'll have the chance to sit there and read them all, but I, I just don't see it happening in the near future. And But it's something I do want to do, because uh, I do like reading, but you know, who has the time? <laughs> um, and audiobooks are out of the question, because it, it takes me, what, 10, 15 minutes to get to work. <laughs> They've barely started a sentence before I pull up at outside work. So, but yeah, um, you could. I, 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 I mean, I thought the, the first movie set, uh, set the tone nicely. It really kind of pulled me in, and and, made, and the casting was great. You know, uh, it was good to see all these. Uh, I guess because I hadn't really been here that that long, it was kind of nice to see uh, all of these. British actors on the big screen in in, you know, in America, you know, um, and and a very very British uh, kind of movie as well. So yeah, but that's that's uh, that's briefly how I got into the Harry Potter universe. Okay, well we're going to go back to Romana, but she just dropped off, so I'll play another clip. And okay. if Romana's back in the room, I then will go to Romana. If not, we'll go to Scardis. Oh, oh, in oh, fact, oh, we'll, oh. Go to, we'll go to Willis Girl. Let me just play this clip while she gets unmuted. Okay. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Can you tell me where I might find platform nine and three quarters? Nine and three quarters? Think you're being funny, do you? friend and his family last night and he has twin boys uh, Richard and Mark it took me all night to work out which one was which it was uh, very difficult but uh, we've got two years oh Willis Girl we, we lost again. Willis Girl um, <laughs> it, before we continue on Mike just Mike do you just want to read that out or because it's kind of cool <laughs> sure I'll what go ahead and read that out yeah I was just uh, uh, talk, talking with my mom about how we became fans of the books and my mom was telling me that yeah, we, she started reading the books back in 1999, around the, t- the time that I started reading them, and already at that time, this will bring in this part of the, part of the discussion with the books that we haven't 
at all touched. Yeah. But there's the, the the mass outcry among certain groups, certain people who who claim that the books are not suit, not suitable for kids to read and should be banned from school libraries or just libraries in general. That kids shouldn't read them because the the books are represent uh, witchcraft and Satan and all that evil stuff that kids shouldn't be shouldn't be exposed to ever because it's evil. And my mom started reading the books in response to that just to find out. Okay, I'll decide whether or not my kids should read these. Thank you very much. And uh, and she. she what she read, she liked, and became a fan of the books. So it was because of the outcry of to ban the books that my mom started reading and became a fan. Uh, I think Funny that was probably more. Out. Yeah, I think that was probably more in the states where yeah, you have some quite uh, powerful lobbyists in certain and it keeps happening. areas. Yeah, I warned you about the. It keeps happening. Mm, yeah, of course. Yeah. A very strong Bible Belt uh, yeah. in the states. I'm here in North Carolina, so that's here within the Bible Belt. Right, well, let's get these girls on while we still can. So let's go to Romana, and then we'll go to Willie's girl. So, Romana, um, favourite characters, favourite moments, just from these three films or three books? Okay. Well, or anything else, really? Um, these three, from these three films, is, um, definitely um, my favourite is Prisoner of Azkaban. It was the first one I saw at the pictures, and pretty much was the first movie that really got me into the franchise, really. And, of course, favourite character has always been Remus Lupin. Um, I'll talk about this if we talk about the later years, but really to the point of how he kept, he was basically, his whole story was shafted from the, the movies. Um, but I'm definitely my favourite character. I thought... David Stewart, the guy I played him, was perfect, and um, and yeah, and I also really like um, one of my other favourite characters, which is played more into the later movies, is um, Neville Longbottom, of course. Um, and I pretty much love them all, um, really. But I have to, if I had to pick one, it would be Remus, definitely. Um, right. I really enjoyed Prisoner of Azkaban. The whole thing with Remus and Sirius in the past and the with um. In the Morongo's area, area and all that, yeah. Okay, and interesting that, that that was one of the characters or actors that Cobo wasn't so sure about, but uh, it's nice to have a, a range of opinion here. Uh, let's go to. Oh, well, this girl's gone again. I know, we keep. You put that keep magic disappearing invisible cloak over her again. Unbelievable. <laughs> Okay, well, let me play uh, what might be the final clip from me here. And this is uh, really, again, I know these are all from the first film because these are so important stages. This is when, really, the first three principles meet on the train. So I thought it was important for that view. Uh, and then we'll, we'll find out who's available. Excuse me. Do you mind? Everywhere else is full. Not at all. I'm Ron, by the way. Ron Weasley. I'm Harry, Harry Potter. So, so it's true. I mean, do you really have the... the... The what? The scar. Oh. Wicked. Anything off the trolley, dears? No, thanks. I'm all set. We'll take the lot. Bertie bought every flavour beans. They mean every flavour. There's chocolate and peppermint, 
And there's also spinach, liver and tripe. George swear he got a bogey flavoured one once. This is scabbard, by the way. Pathetic, isn't he? Just a little bit. Fred gave me a spell for turning yellow. Want to see? Yeah. Has anyone seen a toad? A boy named Neville's lost one. No. Oh, are you doing magic? Let's see them. <coughs> Sunshine, daisies, buttermellow. Turn this stupid fat right yellow. Are you sure that's a real spell? Well, it's not very good, is it? Of course, I've only tried a few simple ones myself, but they've all worked for me. Example. Oculus Repair Room. That's better, isn't it? Holy cricket! You're Harry Potter! I'm Hermione Granger. And you are? Um, Ron Weasley. Pleasure. Yeah, and Emma Watson said in that 50 Greatest Moments of uh, Harry Potter ITV uh, this last couple of days that she had lived that uh, line, oh, uh, Holy Cricket or whatever. Um, I mentioned a couple of shows ago that my brother-in-law just come back from Scotland. They thought they were going to ride on the, what's the Hogwarts Express? Uh, I forget the name of the real train now. But unfortunately, they, they didn't get the steam train. But it was actually the day that the first film was just being coming out. And they went to the station, and the 10 o'clock... There are only two two runs a day, I think. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, all these people got off all in Harry Potter costumes. So uh, that was r really great. OK, well, we don't seem to have Willis Girl, so um, I'm not quite sure which order we should be going round about in again. I think... Uh, Mike, really. I mean, he told us about that. anything else you want to add while we're we're with you, Mike, and then we'll we'll go to Scardis. We haven't heard for a while. And not really. Just to say that you know these pair, the, this trilogy of books, the one through three, it's they they do a good job in you know introducing this this setting, introducing the characters, uh, what what's going on, and. Uh, it's, as I said, I started reading the books back when book three came out, and it made me a fan. I was I read the first three books rather with it rather quickly, and uh, I was rather intrigued. And but beyond that, I don't, I don't really have anything to add right, right. now. I, I mean, one thing as as well as well the I think I thought the, the I've seen most of the films. They seem to grow and develop in terms of like the the quality of the CGI effects. The early ones, they were sort of adequate, I suppose, and they got better. I thought the visualisation of uh, Hogwarts itself was great. Uh, and, of course, um, we, we had the slight problem. Uh, again, I'm not too familiar, but um, the actor who was playing um, Dumbledore, did he make it through the first three films? Or was, it, or was it after the second film? Richard that, uh, Harris. Uh, Richard Harris. Well, let's, let's go with you, Scardis. Yeah, go on. Yeah, OK. So, basically, Richard Harris played Dumbledore in the first and the second film while um, uh, Michael Gambon Michael. took over from three onwards. Uh, basically, um, yeah, so this actually, while we're on Michael Gambon, I, I thought when, when I was going to come back on, that I was going to throw in a few, couple of casting notes. Now, we've just Whichever. mentioned yeah. Michael Gambon, who um, obviously was in Christmas Carol there recently. Uh, Harry Melling, who plays Dudley Dursley, is actually the grandson 
of Patrick Troughton. I thought I'd tie it back into our um, oh, our, our base fandom there. I'd, I'd, try, I'd make the link in there. Uh, so Harry Melling is Patrick Troughton's grandson. But more interestingly enough, around, around the same age as Harry Melling is another actor in the Potter series called Alfie Enoch. And his father is none other than William Russell, who, of course, us Who fans would know very well as one Ian Chesterton. So, yeah, uh, he would have been quite an old man when uh, that happened, but uh, believe it or not, uh, Dean Thomas's dad is one of the Doctor's first companions, Ian Chesterton. <laughs> and one more casting note, which uh, is actually kind of hard to spot, but um, oh, his name escapes me now for a moment. But the actor who plays Harry's father uh, in the mirror in the mirror era Z and all them, uh, he actually was the the friend of the Ood in uh, Planet of the Ood. The 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 professor, not the professor, but the the scientist guy who was the the, the right hand man. That's actually um, that's the same actor. So. Uh, that's all I can think of of Harry Potter, Doctor Who, links from the first three films, and maybe more from classics. I'm not so sure. Oh, oh sorry, there is, of course, uh, Miriam Margoyles, who was in, um, who voiced a uh, blathering in the Sarah Jane Adventures. But aside from that, that's all I can think of of direct Doctor Who, Harry Potter links in the first three movies. Obviously, there is um, more from uh, the fourth. Movie onwards, where well, somebody save got them, a save big them, part in Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's all I can remember from the third one. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Let's. Uh, let's sorry, go sorry, sorry, one more. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to mention one more thing because, um, uh, well, just prior to uh, me joining the whole Doctor Who fandom, I was actually, as you might have guessed, uh, kind of heavy in Harry Potter <laughs> fandom as well. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, basically. If you want to find out more about the whole Harry Potter fandom side of things, there is a website that I kind of fr- used to frequent regularly that I suppose I've ever plugged in now because they are still going strong. It is www.the-leaky-cauldron.org. They're pretty much the outpost Gallifrey of um, the Harry Potter world. If you want to know anything about Harry Potter fandom, that's the place to go. And uh, from that, that's uh, the former Nimbus Excel, that was my name out there, uh, signing off for tonight. Okay, well, thanks for that. One more website to throw out there as well is also MuggleNet. is another um, good website um, for Harry Potter news, um, like the Leaky Country. And I think they have a podcast as well. Um, Yeah, Yeah, both of them have that. There's Pottercast for Leaky and there's MuggleCast for... Oh, yes. And there's the Leaky Cauldron uh, URL, at least. Alrighty. Okay, I think it's time we heard again from Darth, if we can. Uh, yes. I'll, I will be dropping off soon, of course, Ian. Okay. Oh. Darth? I'm sorry you caught me unaware, because I didn't see anything in chat. Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, On to Darth next. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, he said he didn't see it. He didn't say right, he didn't uh, type it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I never look at the thing really that much. I'll use the magic pen um, that scratches it onto your hand next. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of lost. What are we talking about this round? Uh, totally your favorite, favorite characters, our favorite moments from the film, oh, uh, how it was visualized. Right. Well, I mean, the virtual all from, from episode three. I mean, one of the cool, uh, the best moments, I think, in the entire series is the point in, in three where uh, Hermione just clocks um, uh, what's his, Malfoy. The, uh, it's, it's, it, and not only, that's the, that is the point at which um, I think Emma Watson really became the character of Hermione, as opposed to just being a bossy little girl. Um, I, I really dislike her performance in the first movie. Um, by the second movie, she's getting a little bit better, but by three, I really dig her whole character. It's it's much subtler than what it had been before. Um, it's not just about, um, you know, being uh, an annoying know-it-all, as Snape says in that movie, but also she, she becomes an action hero a little bit. You know, because really, that is her film. And it's such a, it's a great comeback, especially after two, where really she's sidelined for the last half of the movie because she gets that, um, that spell put on her that knocks her out. Um, three is where she just, she's leading all the action, you know, and she's the central, in a way, kind of the MacGuffin of the movie. You know, the whole, the whole question as you're going through the movie is how does she keep popping up in all these places? And, um, so I, I really I, I dig three because it it, it really puts her uh, front and center. I also like it because it's got um, Thompson in it and Emma Thompson's um, spin on one of the professors of Hogwarts is just divine. Seriously, I mean, although although Alan Rickman is clearly my favorite person, one of my favorite characters in all films ever. Um, you know, you can't, it's hard to beat Snape, but the the careful precision of the relatively small role that uh, um, Emma Thompson plays in three is just gorgeous to watch. There's a, there's a great scene that shows you a little bit of why she's such a great actress too, because um, the, there's a scene of Harry and he's pulling out of a very long corridor that leads to her room after he delivers the, the crystal ball that is rolling out of her room back to her. And so she is in frame for the entire time that Harry is walking away. It's a very, very long shot. Um, and the entire time of that passage that Harry's making, even though she's not in focus, she's still acting as the character. And it's just gorgeous to watch that that little touch. But there are lots of little touches that she gives there. Um, I, I just think she's she's knockout great in in three. Um, I do like her ex husband though in two. I mean Kenneth Branagh is the highlight I think of two, <laughs> and is one of the reasons that that film is palatable palatable to me, even though it's you know again the drudgery of Chris Columbus. Um, uh, you know, how can you not watch Kenneth Branagh? But the interesting thing about the role for Kenneth Branagh and the way that he plays it is that it is, I think, what people think Kenneth Branagh was like. It's actually <laughs> a, a commentary upon him at the time, especially because he got you know sort of bad press with the breakup with Emma Thompson and everything around that time or slightly before it. And 
it's you know the vanity of the man that doesn't. I, I don't know that it actually exists in real life, but it certainly is what some people tended to play up around that time about him in the in the general media press. And it's just it's just great to see him, you know, essentially make fun of himself or his reputation at that moment in time. Uh, I think as we go forward in time, people may lose a sense of how topical that performance is or was. Um, and, and just enjoy it for, you know, here's a guy playing a vain man. But uh, it, that was really quite spectacular in two. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I can't get away from the fact that of all eight movies, three is, it's just the best. It, it, in every way, it, it makes, you know, it makes the very complicated subject of time travel quite understandable in a very easy and visual way. And in a way that, frankly, I don't think that Stephen Moffat has ever been able to do, you know, even though he's famous for, for doing lots of timey-wimey things. I think it, it's very simple. It's very elegant. The exploration of time travel is just beautifully done. Um, and more than that, I think this one has some, from what I understand, because I haven't read three, but from what I understand, it has some scenes in it that are wholly created for the film. And most particularly that, that, that um, bus scene at the very beginning, uh, the the triple decker bus, that seems great. It's just absolutely <laughs> fabulous. And the voodoo you know, the, head played by the voodoo head, right. Henry, I think exactly. Yeah, um, it it's one of the arguments I think for the way in which translating something to film and needing to do something visually, in this case, you know, needing to have a way to get Harry to um, fudge, um, improves the story. Or, 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 or why, you know, I think this series gets a lot of flack for, you know, its lack of fidelity to the original manuscripts. And what I think three does is show us, well, there are actually instances where a filmmaker might get, and a, and a screenwriter might get inspired to do something visually that's more interesting than what was in the book. Okay, anyway, let me just ask, ask you, because I'll have to drop out for myself in a moment. Um, in this 50 Greatest Moments of Harry Potter that ITV have just shown, um, mm. talking to Daniel Radcliffe on it, uh, he said that the, the greatest person he enjoyed acting alongside was Gary Oldman. He actually felt, Daniel Radcliffe felt as though his if he did any good acting in Harry Potter, it was against the Gary Oldman character, obviously the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, what do you think of his? Did he sell? Because if that's your favourite one, it basically it hangs on his acting as well. I would assume. Um, it does. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I would call Gary Oldman the best actor that is in the Harry Potter movies. I, I can uh, understand Radcliffe's position because you know Sirius Black is a very important person to Harry's character, and therefore. They would have had to spend a lot of time acting against each other. You know, I mean, he is yeah. essentially Harry's father for all practical purposes in the films. So, I mean, it makes sense why Radcliffe thinks that. I'm not sure. I mean, Rickman is clearly the better actor. I mean, he ha or certainly has a better role and a more fleshed out one and certainly one that's slightly more impactful on the whole film series. But that's not to say that, you know, 
uh, Gary Oldman is in any way bad or insufficient or anything. He, he's he's fabulous in the role. But, you know, he doesn't... I guess the thing that I've come to enjoy in, in the, the Harry Potter films is who is the new teacher of the year, usually the dark arts teacher, um, and what sort of interesting spin are we going to get out of that character in this one particular movie? And I suppose, you know, in three, you have two sort of characters that are just, well, I mean, Sirius Black does appear in later films, but he's not super prominent after this one. Um, and, and to me, you know, you got you got Gary Oldman and you got Emma Thompson in this one. And I just find, you know, the Emma Thompson character is just a little bit more interesting, a little bit more entertaining, certainly not impactful terribly on the overall narrative. But as a as a piece of character acting, I think it's quite marvelous and quite memorable. Um there's just so many things about three, but but the the biggest thing about three and why that's so important is it it is it is the point at which Harry Potter starts to take itself seriously. It's it's the point where you see in the first, um, uh, you know, in the sort of traditional Dursley Muggle scene, um, you know, the use of Steadicam, the use of realistic cinematography, um, so that you get the real sense that actually. Harry is existing in the normal world most of the time that he's not at school. Um, and, and there's a clear dividing line between how things are, are shot um, in the Dursley household as opposed to how they're shot in Hogwarts. Um, and that doesn't exactly happen in 1 and 2. I mean, especially not in 1, because there's that, that thing in 1 where they go off the Dursleys are like, we're going to escape from all these owls and we're going to go to a, an isolated castle on an island. And actually that place looks as magical as anything in the magical world. And I think what's so great about three is you start to have this thing of, okay, there is the real world. Harry does live a part of his life in the real world. And it, and it looks like the real world. It's not, you know, like you said, it's not Roald Dahl-esque. Yeah. It, it is. It is, real. Um, and not, not only that, but you get this whole thing of, you know, the luck that they had in filming in Scotland uh, for three, where it was raining all the time. So it gives the, the film this this sort of gray natural color to it that is perfect for Harry Potter. Much more realistic than the brightness of, you know, of films one and two. Um, so three is just this, this mad, and, and I think too, I personally like Gambon better than I like um, Richard Harris, which I know is not the majority opinion among Harry Potter fans. But I find Gambon to be a more interesting wizard, whereas I think Richard Harris's performance in one and two is much more like the standard approach to Gandalf. Um, and there's something, especially in three with Gambon, there's this. You know, there's this glint, there's this um, mischievousness about um, Dumbledore that you kind of don't get out of Richard Harris, or at least I didn't get out of Richard Harris. So, I don't know. For for me, three is one and two are unto themselves, and they are uh, important. They make a financial success out of the franchise. They get it started, but frankly. Anybody could have directed that material, and it still would have done really well at the box office. Um, three is the start of things that come later. The more realistic cinematography, the more realistic way of uh, approach to shots, 
Um, but also, three has the clearest directorial vision. I mean, I said it at the top of the show, but the, the transitions between scenes, the way that um, Quaron has devised these rather elaborate shots where the, the camera goes from well back in nothingness to through a window. And you actually get a little ripple as it goes through a window. There are a couple of shots where it's like that. Um, so it's it's realistic, but yet at the same time, there are there are moments where the camera moves in an extraordinary way. And the, also the passage of time, the way that you know that, okay, well, now we're in the, you know, the fall semester, now we're in the winter semester, now we're, you know, in spring. There's just a little moment, you know, where the Wampum Willow or whatever will lose its... Um, uh, its leaves, uh, you'll see snow start to come on the ground, but it's just a moment. It's just a, enough time to demarcate the seasons. Um, and uh, I, I, the, the visual grammar of the movie is just fantastic. So three, three is clearly my favorite, but that's not to, to denigrate what we'll talk about later in, in other movies. It's not to say that, you know, seven and eight aren't fantastic or, you know, that five and six don't have their merits or whatever, but but there, but there is something about three that is unlike all the rest of the movies, um, and okay, I, I wish people would look at it more as a film and less as Harry Potter. Right, great. Well, at that point, I, I'm just going to hand back to Ian to take yep. the show to the end, uh, and I'm sure you'll mention uh, the Hitchhikers later. Bye, everyone. Thanks for yeah. joining us. Uh, sorry about the storms in the middle. Couldn't do anything about that. And hmm. uh, thanks, Ian. Yep, not a problem. Bye. See you, Dave. Actually, I'll mention it right now. Um, for those interested, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi is uh, about to get underway at Talk Show ID 110825, and uh, they have been discussing for the last uh, couple of weeks uh, Torchwood, uh, and uh, they will be discussing uh, Episode 3 today. So, if you're intending on going over there, let's be starting soon. Um, is there anyone in the room who's actually going to be going over there but wants to have their uh, another another uh, say on uh, Harry Potter? Nope, good. I'll lock the door then. Ka-chunk. All right, so I'll just put in a side note there that I, it was um, Adrian Rollins is the Harry Potter dad who was in um, Planet of the Ud. That I yes. found that out. Yes. So, and actually, uh, we, we, we did actually make mention of that on our commentary that we... Uh, we did last week. Last week? No, the week before last. Yes. Uh, and I hadn't realized it until we actually went to the cast list, too. That, uh, that, you know. So you'll you'll hear me during the commentary going, shame on you, Mr. Potter. Shame on you. <laughs> no way what, Darth? No way what? Stardust was saying in text that Gammon was the first doctor approached approach to Dumbledore, which is, no. Uh, okay. Not, not true at all. <laughs> Alrighty, who hasn't gone on their favorite character in uh, the first three movies? Anyone except me? Charlie. Um. Well, I, I guess I you know, just reading the books right now. Um. Um. I'd probably say something like you know, like the character I can relate to the most would probably be. Um, oh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um. Oh, uh, Ron Weasley. Um. I don't know, maybe because maybe he's just sort of. Uh, I don't know. He's sort of. Um, I don't know, it's sort of um, character that's... Uh, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Kind of not the brightest, not the brightest ball, but, you know, he's, you know, he, he's, you know, he makes it up with uh, sort of 
being honest and stuff, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, I, actually, I think I'm talking about the best scene, like my favorite scene in the movies. It'll probably be just the you know, the one the, the um, you know, just read, reading the the story book and just you know, and uh, noticing you know, reading the, the bit with the with the night bus at the beginning of the book and saying you know how much I liked it more in the movie than I liked it more in the book because I was so yeah, I said that the shrunken head and um, the way you know the way it's yeah, it's, it's it's shot and edited and 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 John Williams' music during that whole scene it was just it's just sort of a this is the scene where you watch it going you know this is. This is gonna be different. This is a different movie than the first two, you know. So, so that's uh, that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah. All right. Samantha, did you did did we hear from you on your favorite uh, character? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I I lost track <laughs> where Dar- uh, where uh, <laughs> David got to. So. Um, Can my, I come uh, in as a counterpoint to Darth? Excellent. Sure, come on. Come um, on in. Um, I get where Dark is coming from. He's viewing the movie as a completely separate entity from the book. I've never been able to do that. Like, when a movie is based on a book, it should try to be as faithful to the book as possible. I'm a very firm believer in that. And starting with three, <laughs> and the night bus scene in particular, it, the whole series was never very faithful to the books in my opinion. Like, whether it be something simple like wearing muggle clothes at Hogwarts, which just simply would not happen under any circumstances ever. As a matter of fact, in book two, you still there? Okay, cut off mid sentence. <laughs> okay, people are abandoning ship. Uh, Mike, before you before you go, anything you want to add? And I just kind of quit watching them. After that, we lost you for a bit there, Kobo. <laughs> I just said that the series after the third movie departed severely from the book, like from minor details to taking major liberties with the plot. Am I the only one in here that feels that the movies after three just kind of? Petered out a little bit. Of course, I'm a firm believer in sticking to the story verbatim as much as possible. But when I compare it to Lord of the Rings, there's no comparison there because Lord of the Rings did a fantastic job, whereas this took liberties all over the place. Yeah, yeah, but you're saying take liberties, but you you also got to think about the realistic side of this, and that is. The film producers didn't know how the story was going to end. You know, they they did what I think was a a risky thing, and maybe this was a mistake to start making the films before the book series was over, before it was even really close to over. Um, and 
so you're saying take liberties, but the fact of the matter is, there are things. Let's take Dobby for an example, because Dobby shows up in film two. Um, Dobby is an important character, as I understand it, in the rest of the books, more or less. Um, but he only shows up again in the films in six. I mean, well, sorry, in seven part one, right? Now, a part of that reason is because the film producers didn't know how the story was going to end. And if they had known when they were making Goblet of Fire or when they were making Order of Phoenix that Dobby was going to be relatively crucial to uh, Harry Potter 7, then they probably would have included that character a whole lot more in the films. And, and you see this time and time again. For instance, you know, the wedding that's in Seven. Um, if they had known that that wedding was going to be as crucial as it wa- was, then they undoubtedly would have brought in the eldest Weasley boy earlier into the film series. As it is, that scene kind of just plays out as a WTF moment because you're like, why is it so important that we have the wedding of this guy we've never seen before? Um, so I, I, I think there's a balance that's going on here. Yes, you know, sometimes the, the producers of, say, three and four, you know, relatively earlier films in the series, knew that they were getting rid of things because they took the stance that they were only going to include scenes that were of direct relevance to the character of Harry Potter. Fine, that stance means you're going to lose some things. But another thing that's going on is they just didn't know how the story was going to end. And I predict you know, that the, the most accurate telling of the story isn't going to come for another 20 years. You know, We'll see 20 years from now, maybe 30 years from now, they'll have the Harry Potter series again, but that one will probably be viewed as better because the producers at that time will know how the whole story is supposed to be and they will know, you know, which threads should have really been included all along and which to get rid of. So don't blame the filmmakers too much for things that aren't there because, you know, they're doing the best that they could based on the information that they had at the time. Yeah, but things like letting her money take more control than she did in the books or come off as leader of their little group when Harry has always been and will always be the leader of their little clique, I guess you would call it. Um, well, I mean, again, I we might need to talk to Randall Thor or somebody else about the precise balance in the books of power between those characters. But, I mean, I can tell you as somebody who, who hasn't read book three that my favorite moment in three is when she clearly takes power. Um, so it, it is an effective scene, and it sends a positive message to girls that are watching the, the series as well. So I, I don't think that that's a bad move necessarily at all. I think we can be... Two, two, the, my problem with one and two is that they are... I mean, they did try to get really faithful to the series, but they're dull. I mean, the pacing's off. It's just set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. It's a typical Chris Columbus style. And um, 
three to me is where the, the series starts to get better because the director and writer say, you know what, we're making a film here, so we're going to do things that make sense visually, and you know that tell a coherent story based upon the elements that we already have in play. True, but the book kind of feels like said piece, said piece, said piece, said piece at times, especially well, in the early books. Right, and that I mean that's that may be a thing that, that um, they should have tried as filmmakers to get rid of. Just because a book is a certain way doesn't mean that that's necessarily the best telling of the story. Not especially not in film terms. I mean, do you really want to see a literal adaptation of Fahrenheit 451? I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, True. that's that's not going to work. Um, and 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 you know, for for the praise that you're heaping on Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings isn't that faithful. I mean, it's it's pretty faithful. Certainly more faithful than Harry Potter. Yes, but I mean, again, you are talking about making films at a time when, you know, the Tolkien works have been analyzed to death, where they've been totally written for, you know, half a century, where they're understood inside and out. Um, but still, you know, there are a lot of Tolkien purists who really dislike that telling, too. Uh, I think if you get too attached to uh, one version of a story, then you're not going to enjoy the other. The same thing, you know, on a smaller scale happened in Doctor Who. There are people who really don't like the telling of human nature because it 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 um, cuts corners on the original story, and it's actually substantially different in a lot of regards than the novel on which that was based. Um, I don't like The Lodger because The Lodger goes... I think very far afield from the qualities of the comic book that could have been adapted for film better. Um, but I think that you'll tend to enjoy things more uh, in, a, in a film adaptation if you try to let go of your preconceptions and try to enjoy it more for what's there. Which isn't at all to say that these films are perfect filmically. They're really not. There are a lot of flaws in them. Um, but... Uh, I I feel kind of bad for some Harry Potter fans who, who who spend a lot of their effort in criticizing the films on the basis of how faithful they are to a book which originally was not intended to be adapted into film. Right, and um, I mean, from my understanding, didn't didn't she have an awful lot of uh... Uh, input into into most of these movies. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, finally by by film seven and eight, she actually gets a producer credit. But she had veto power. She had control. Sure. She could have stopped things, you know. And she, you know, she's on record as saying that she loves the um, um, the night bus scene and wishes that she had written it. Um, so, it, it, I I think that she's the most instructive person, maybe at all of all with this because she's been firmly supportive of all the films. She's always come out and said, whatever one that came out is the best one yet. Um, and she, she's consistently said on, on DVD documentaries and other things, you know, it is a different medium. And I, I support people who understand that medium better than I do. Um, cause I, you know, from, it's nothing for me to write, you know these elaborate scenes in in books. I, it doesn't cost me anything except for the cost of paper, the cost of electricity to my computer. 
But it, you know, it costs a film department millions of dollars to make it happen, and if they don't, they can't realize it effectively. If they don't, you know, think it will work visually, then you know, I congratulate them on doing it. And you know, it's some many people say about book three. And again, I haven't read it, so uh, I'm just relaying other people's opinion um, that the time turner thing, which is so central to that plot, is actually harder to understand in print than it is on screen. That Quaron really made that scene crystal clear, and it's very easy to to parse what's going on in it. That's one of the few things he did get exactly right. In the okay. film. <laughs> I mean, he got that dead on. Okay. Excellent. Mike, you're still here. <laughs> Although, no, no, do you? I am still here. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Oh, that disappearing mute button. <laughs> yeah. Obscured by other windows that I have open. That none of them have Minecraft. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Minecraft. But yeah, it's... Uh, I, of course, with... Uh, I agree with both uh, Kobo and Darth. That With Kobo, that yes, the books... The books and the movies did start going down their own path from book three, and of course I also agree with Darth that of course the movies would do that. They're a different medium. They're a visual medium. So, I agree with both points there. Alrighty. Okay, Mike, did uh, did Dave get to you on your favorite character from the first three? Uh, I don't believe he did. But, uh, favorite character? Uh, well, you you have the main, the main trio. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, of course. Yeah, so, of, so, of course, the, the focus is there on those characters, but, um, Neville is another one, is usually my pick for favorite character, because his storyline in, in, the, in the books and in the movies is, well, more so in the books, but, uh, he's clearly a secondary to, to Harry Potter. His, his story could be, is so similar to Harry's story, and his, what he does is so similar to what Harry does, he's sort of his shadow character. So Neville Longbottom is my favorite character. Hmm. Excellent. I'm 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 a huge Hagrid fan. Uh, I just I don't know. I just love everything that Hagrid does. Um, also quite fond of Dobby. Quite real. I mean, quite a well realized character. Looks visually good. I think. Um, like it. You know, like he's there. Um, but yeah, those those are probably my favorites of of the of the first three. Yeah, and as I was mentioning earlier in chat, it's, I was always found it such a shame that Peeves was left out of the of the movies. If anyone's read the book, uh, not read the books, but just seen the movies, Peeves is, a, is a, another one of the go- resident ghosts at Hogwarts, and he's a ghost that always likes to pull pranks and likes to pull pranks on Harry. <laughs> so, uh, and Peeves was completely left out of the books, which changes uh, the, the movies, I should say, which changes the outcome of the plots considerably in at least one book. Uh, with two or three, I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, no peeves. And he was quite a funny character in the book. Ghost. And there's Bark in the background, so I'll go mute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, um, see, they've had to leave, and uh, we've lost a few as well. Um, I'm going to do a last round the room for the first three films. Uh, like Dave and I alluded to earlier, um, we will be tackling the rest of the movies. We're not sure what kind of uh, grouping. We did have some uh, discussion before we started the show, but uh, stay tuned as we will be putting that information up probably sometime during this week as to uh, as to how we're going to divide up the rest of this because now we have, of course, the... Uh, announced date of uh, when Doctor Who is coming back and so we'll be diverting our attentions back to Doctor Who shortly alright um, so we're just going to go around the room before we close up and uh, final thoughts on the first three movies uh, how we began and, 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 and basically where we leave off with the series you know, at, the, at the end of the third movie Charlie um, just saying you know um, with the with the, uh, the passage time three is Aged well, of all of all the of all the three, it's 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 yeah, it's clearly the best of of the, of, of the three. Um, in the first two, or so basically, I basically uh, rank them the same. <laughs> basically, the same kind of. It's the same with the books. You know, the books are sort of it's sort of the same book over, so you expect kind of it's the same movie over. So, right. All right, Cobo. Uh, last final thoughts on the first three movies. Are you there? All right, we'll come back to you. Darth. Uh, three, yeah. Um, <laughs> I suppose the, the fascinating thing to me is that somehow or other, um, and this is purely from a filmmaking standpoint, um, Harry Potter survived the tragedy of having been spearheaded initially by Christopher Columbus, who who has managed to kill other things, or at least make many other things, like Fantastic Four totally killed that franchise. Um, Night of the Museum, you know, didn't kill a franchise. It made money, but nobody's ever liked one of those two films, so who knows why. Even Home Alone, which people, you know, think of as being a successful film, is successful, but certainly wasn't critically successful. So it's sort of, it, it is a tragedy to me that this wonderful material started out under him. Um, I'm glad that he jumped ship when the kids got a little bit older and out of his usual age range. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, three at least leaves us in a really interesting position. We're starting to get the story told a little bit more. We're starting to understand um I think three is really where the story, for all practical purposes, takes off. Um, it, it, it's where you, you know, it's hard to imagine the rest of the series without an understanding of who Sirius Black is. Um, so it's nicely done. The thing that's tragic to me, and we'll maybe talk about this later, but the thing that is problematic is this notion of they didn't have the rest of the books um, written at the time that they were making these three movies. So from a filmic standpoint, they lost the ability to put in any foreshadowing. And one of the biggest tragedies for this is, you know, really the whole, the love stories. Who does Harry end up with? You don't really get proper seeding in the early movies of 
you know, the relationship between the romantic relationship between most of the the characters, and especially Harry. You don't so that by the time you get to you know films six, seven, eight, and Harry's romantic de- destiny is revealed. It doesn't make any sense because you've not been properly, um, you know, introduced to anybody in one, two, and three. Um, but, but nevertheless, what is good about three, but to, to an extent, one, two, one, two, and three, is that at least it, it it does set up the central mystery of what's going on in this um, universe. Um, and I mean, three leaves you, I think, wanting. Four, so much more than one. One left me wanting two, or, or two left me wanting three. Um, it's just a shame that this is the last time that John Williams is writing a score for this franchise, um, and the last time that Coron is directing. Um, and I, and I think what three reveals is visually the thing that is holding this universe together is Stuart Craig. It's the production designer. Um, because that, this is our first um, change of director, and yet it still feels like Hogwarts. It still feels like the, the, the environment, the world building looks the same. And so you start to see at this point, okay, it's going to be fine. They can put any director into this. And it's still going to be an interesting film, and it's still going to basically feel like a Harry Potter movie because they've got this backbone of Stuart Craig as production designer and all the people that are underneath him making sure that whatever the director wants to do, whatever the cinematographer wants to do, it's still going to look like Hogsmeade. It's still going to look like you know, the, the world of Harry Potter. Um, so it's a good start by the time we get to three. Okie dokie. Thank you, Darth. Mike. Ugh, now he must depart. Oh, oh well. We'll catch you next time. Well, I can give oh. my voice. Well, the bar- okay. excuse the bark in the background. But, ah, uh, that's all right. The question, uh, I believe, is favorite movie of the first three. Uh, and, uh, no, it's I just a uh, well, it's just a wrap up of, of oh, how okay. we think the the first three went, and uh, yeah. I pretty much agree with what I don't really have that much to add to what Darth was just saying. Besides that, you. Know, yeah, the first movies introduced everything. The third movie was where the plot really picked up and started going where it was supposed to go, and it felt like we were out of the exposition and all of that. And just, I don't really have that much to add to Darth besides just uh, I agree with it. And uh, it's four, four through six. The, the, it's the, the second group that we're going to be talking about. Four through six is where most of the plot happened. That's where all the interesting stuff happened, and right. I look forward to talking about that. All right. And uh, I shall see you uh, around 8 o'clock. Yeah, I'll be there. Yep, alrighty. Romana 2. Yeah? Your um, thoughts in, in wrapping up? Um, well, this, with the last movie coming out, I have basically three ignited my want to watch them, and I've actually gone back and watched the the first three movies again quite recently um, having have read the books beforehand because the first time I saw the movies I hadn't and and yeah like I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> but yeah it's given me a new appreciation for the movies and and yeah basically yeah the third one is still probably one of my favourites 
um, I agree with Josh on pretty much every point. Um, it's, it's what really started it for me. It's the first time I saw it the cinema. Um, and the first one I looked forward to, I still have a poster in my room that we got at the cinema um, of it. And yeah, what can I say? Um, I've, I've become a very late learner into the, the Harry Potter world. But um, I'm making up for it now, and I'm still waiting for my Pottermore email, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on it, and hopefully I'll come and talk about the the rest of the book, um, rest of the movies, um, and do that eventually, hopefully. Yep. Well, yep, next week um, will definitely be uh, another Harry Potter show next week. It's just a matter of uh, how we're breaking that up. Um, so... Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and we'll cross back over to Kobo now. Uh, are you with us, Kobo? No, still having problems with audio, I think. All righty, well, that about wraps up for us. The room's getting smaller and smaller as time goes on. I think there's a magical spell at, at hand. <laughs> But I would like to thank everybody uh, for for joining us today. And like I said, uh, join us next week when there will be more Potter. Uh, Probably uh, handling uh, maybe the next two or the next three movies. I'm not entirely sure. We'll be discussing that. And the show topic will go up within the next couple of days. So stay tuned for that. But until then, I'd like to thank everybody who joined us today, including those who are still with us. Cyborg Merlin, Romana 2, Dara Skeptical, Charlie P79, Randall Thor just left, and so did Kobo. But uh, we'd like to thank you guys for hanging until the end. So until then, it's uh, goodbye from Mr. Dave AC, who is uh, off on to his second job. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye, everybody.